Let's look over at John 3.16. New verse. You probably have never read that verse before in your whole life. John 3. John 3. John 3, and we're going to start in verse 16. Everybody alive, awake, wow. I, I realized a lot of you guys went back to school this week. You're going to be okay. Everybody, just, Let's just breathe for, for a few seconds. Everybody just breathe in and out. <sighs> breathe in and out. All right, we're not at school anymore. We're not at work. We're at church. This is a good place. We love you here. You don't have to do anything. You just need to listen and respond. Okay, no homework tonight. Well, at least not for the next hour and a half, but afterwards, maybe. But still, remember, this is the highlight of your week. Not school, not your job, not anything else. Church is the highlight of your week, so let's focus in for this next uh, little bit of time on God's Word. And we're going to be responsive, right? And if we see our neighbor snoozing, we're going we're gonna to elbow them. Or we're going to yeah, punch him in the face. That would work. Or, uh, you know... If you got like a mint or, you know, some coffee, give that to them also. So John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. Everybody say the world. That he gave. Now, I'm not preaching on the offering, but if you love something, you'll give to it. So when you don't give to church on a regular basis, you're showing that you don't really love the local church. Alrighty, I'm here every Thursday at 7.34. For God so loved the world that He gave, because love will do something. Love doesn't just talk. Love is a verb. Come on, TC Talk. Love is a verb. Love is an action. It's not just a noun. So, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17 a lot of people don't read verse 17, but verse 17 is just as good as verse 16. It's going to be a key verse for tonight. For God, notice, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, like a lot of Christian people act like. God did not send you into the world to condemn the world or judge the world. Notice, He sent His Son into the world that through Him they might be saved. That's a good verse. Can I get an Amen. Let's go at First Corinthians. First Corinthians nine. It's good to be in the house of God tonight. I rose from my bed of affliction. Back back up off the, the bed of affliction, back at church where I belong. Keep Hoss in your prayers tonight because he's going through the valley as we speak. I told him he was here earlier and he was coughing and sneezing. I was like, do not get near me because I just got off my bed and out of my house and I do not need to go back anytime soon. So let's keep Hoss in our prayers because he's a pillar of the church. Come on. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19. Everybody there. For though I am free from all men. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. That's just the first verse we're reading. Just a fun fact. Um, the word leader in the Bible is only mentioned three times. But the word servant is mentioned 900 times. So guess who God's looking for? Not more leaders, more servants. Okay, that's free. That's a leadership class. For though I am free from all men, notice this, I have made myself a servant to all men, that I might win the more. In verse 20, and to the Jews I have become a Jew, that I might, might win Jews to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, I was without the law that I might win those who are without the law. Verse 22, to the weak I have become weak, that I might win the weak. Notice this, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. That's a mouthful, but let me repeat it one more time. Notice, Paul speaking, 
about him reaching people. He said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Can I get an amen tonight? Well, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is, it's, it's not an uh, elusive, mysterious message. It's pretty straightforward. Tonight, the title of my message is, God Loves Sinners. Y'all could amen on that. God loves sinners. Because if he didn't, we'd all not be saved. God loves sinners. Let's turn back over to John 3.16. So tonight we're talking about God loves sinners. And... Like I said, it's a pretty straightforward message tonight. It's not a lot of uh, mystery to what I'm trying to talk about tonight. And as we get going here, um, I just want to say a couple introductory things. But 2013, we've just entered 2013. And as New Year starts, we talk about the priorities for a year. Usually, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. And they write in their calendars, and they plan out what they want to do that year. So I'm going to kind of speak some vision to the Corey, speak some vision over our church. I'm going to be probably sharing this same message Sunday morning since our pastor is uh, in Texas. And uh, I'm going to be speaking on Sunday morning probably the same message to our entire church. And the message is God loves sinners. Shock, I know. God loves sinners, not just saints. He loves sinners. And... For 2013, this is something that me and Bruce came up with yesterday. And we're calling it No Excuses is the theme for 2013. You can write that down, because I'm not joking about that. 2013 is the year of no excuses. (laughs) 2013, we have declared it is the year of no excuses. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Everything that you've been waiting to do for God, all those prayers you've been waiting to pray, all those people you've been waiting to reach, 2013 is the year of no excuses. There's no longer time to wait to do something for God. Now is the time. There is no more excuses. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's stop talking about it the rest of our life, and let's do something. Let's reach some people. Let's change our community. Let's change our schools. Let's change our world. There's no more excuses. And you know what? It's always a now season or a do season to do something. We talked about this many times at the quarry. People will say, you know, one day, I'm going to serve God with all my heart. One day I'm going to start giving, tithing, offerings. Man, I'm going to give someday. You know, one day I'm going to start bringing my friends to church. One day I'm going to witness to that person. One day I'm going to do something. And they do that for the rest of their life, and then they get 80 or 90 years old, and they have done nothing. Why? Because the devil will always give you an excuse why you can't do something. How many know procrastination is the enemy's tool? And I know because I like to procrastinate about stuff. It's, a, it's so easy to procrastinate about things. But the devil will use that, and he loves using that on Christians that say, one day we're going to do this, one day we're going to change the world, one day we're going to reach people, one day we're going to do this and that. And you get to the end of your life, and you've done nothing but made excuses. Am I telling the truth tonight? The devil will always give you excuses why you can't do it, why you don't do it, why oh, you just need a couple more months, and then you'll do it. And then a couple months passes, and you're still not doing anything. And then a couple months pass again, and you're still not doing anything. And the devil will do that for the rest of your life, and you'll look back when you're 90 years old and say, I did nothing for God. I didn't accomplish any goals. I had all the vision that God placed in me, all the potential and gifts and talents and graces that God put on my life, I did nothing with it because I just talked about doing something and never did something. You know why it's easy to procrastinate? Because doing something actually takes effort and work on our part. A wise person said, vision casted is easy, vision carried is hard. Why? Because vision carried out in your life takes work and 
effort and you actually doing something and getting out of your comfort zone. Hello, somebody. I'm preaching 110 times better than anybody is responding right now. It takes you getting out of your comfort zone and actually doing something with your life. And I want to say something because a lot of us have been sold alive. The Christian life and following Jesus is not a comfortable life. If you are living a comfortable life right now, you are not following Jesus. And that comment is slapping myself in the face also because a lot of times I just like living the comfortable life. Hello, somebody. Not getting out of my comfort zone. But if you stay in your comfort zone the rest of your life, that means you didn't follow Jesus. Because everyone that followed Jesus was constantly getting out of their comfort zone. Why? Because when you get out of your comfort zone, that's when the supernatural happens. That's when the miracles happen. That's when the healings happen. That's when God does something, when you go out of your comfort zone and get into his zone. Are you here tonight? So 2013 is the year of no excuses. No excuses. Me and Bruce were using this, talking about different projects we've been waiting to do for the quarry. And we have no excuse why we haven't done them other than we make excuses and say, one day we're going to do this. In the future, we got this idea. No, let's do it today. Let's do it this week. No more waiting. Now is the time. It's the season of harvest. No excuses. So no excuses 2013. Realize this, you need to live every day in light of eternity. Let me tell you what that means. A lot of us, including myself, get caught up in everyday life, in school, work, relationships, what we got to do, and we forget sometimes that what you do on earth is going to matter in eternity. And what you do for Christ is the only thing that's going to last in eternity. That's it. That's it. And we get caught up in things that don't matter in eternity. That's what I'm talking about in light of eternity. When you make the choices and decisions, what you're going to give your life to, what you're going to do with your time, ask yourself, is this going to matter in eternity? Is it going to matter? Because a lot of things we do on a regular basis do not matter. Is that the truth? Including myself, we watch hours of Duck Dynasty, which if anything's going to matter in eternity, that's going to be close. But it's still not going to matter in eternity. The dumb things we do on a regular basis because we live, we don't live life in light of eternity. And a lot of our excuses, oh, we're young. We got time. I got time to waste my life for several years. No, you don't got time. How much more can you do in your life if you start young instead of wait till you're halfway through your life to start, start doing something for God? You can do so much more. And I tell you, in, until you start living your life in light of eternity, your life won't be fulfilled. You'll be looking for other things to fill it up with. Here's, a, here's a something to think about. Are the things you are living for today worth Christ dying for? I said this is 2013, a year of no excuses. Let me repeat that. Think about this. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Are they? Now, you can't think about that quote just right now. you got to take that home and meditate on that because that's a, that's a heavy quote. But think about this. Your everyday life, are the things that you're involved in or excited about or passionate, passionate about, are they worth Christ dying for? Are you living a life far beneath what he died for? Because I think that's what a lot of us do. We settle for living far beneath what Jesus died to give us, what Jesus died so that we could do for his kingdom to build his church on the earth. Are the things you are living for today worth Christ dying for? Just think about that. And I know a lot of us try to use that. I'm young. I got time to be serious. You know, give me, give me 10 years, 20 years. No, are the things you're living for today worth Christ dying for? You know, the people that think like this about their life, about their time, are the people who change the world. Are the people that actually do something. Are the people that actually reach people for Christ. And do something that's going to have an impact in eternity. Think about this. 
you know, everyone you come in contact with, every person you've ever met, every person you have ever seen, is going to live somewhere forever. Everybody. Everybody you've ever seen, talked to, come across, ever, is going to live someplace forever in eternity. Do you realize that? I think a lot of times we forget about that and we're so focused on ourselves and what we need, we forget that everybody we come in contact with is going to live somewhere forever. And just because you got it settled doesn't mean they got it settled where they're going. And that matters to God. And you know, if, if you really know God, it should matter to you. It should stir you up. You know, there was a, a comedian recently and he's a He's a self-proclaimed atheist, and he said this, which was something to think about. He's a comedian, and he said this, if Christians really believe there was a real hell, then how much do they have to hate me to not tell me about it? If Christians really believe there was a real hell, how much do they have to hate me to not tell me about it? Why? Because he was saying he's been an atheist his whole life, and nobody has ever shared the gospel message with him. That's sad. That's sad. Because if Christians really believe there is a real hell and there's a real heaven, that would stir you up to tell people that don't know there is. Because if they don't know, that means they're going to hell. They're, they're going to a place separated for, from God for eternity. Are you still here? Did you get too sober on me? But it's the truth. If we thought like that in living in light of eternity that every person we see every person we've ever talked to is going to live somewhere forever a lot of us say we believe that but do we live that you're like yeah I believe that but if we if we believe that really we would live differently we would live with an urgency to tell everyone we could about heaven We'd live with an urgency to tell everyone we knew about Jesus and about his saving grace and saving power because we want to see them in eternity forever with us, not separated from God. If we really believe that, notice that atheist was right, that comedian. How much do, do Christians have to hate me or dislike me or shun me to not tell me if they really believe what they believe? Because there is a real place called heaven. There's a real place called hell. And you know what the thing is? More messages on witnessing and evangelism is not going to do it. You guys are shocked. More messages on witnessing and evangelism is not going to do it. Why? Because we've had millions of messages on witnessing, on sharing your faith, on evangelism, on everything under the sun for years and years and years and years not just in this church, but just in the entire world, the church world, there's been so many messages go forth about evangelism and reaching people, then why hasn't it happened? Because if preaching about it would have done it by now, then it would have happened. Okay, Jesus has been gone, and he's in heaven. He's been gone for 2,000 years, and he left the Holy Spirit here with us, with the church, to reach people and to finish what he started and there's been 2,000 years of messages about reaching people. Why hasn't it happened yet? Well, there's a root to the issue. Realize this. In the early church, they didn't have to tell people to tell other people about Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? That's how far the Western church has took what the Word of God has meant. They've so diluted it that we have to pretty much beg people to share their faith with other people. Notice the early church didn't have classes on evangelism, on witnessing, on sharing your faith. They just did it. Why? Because they were in love. Nobody had to tell them, go out and reach people. They just went out and reached people because they were in love with Jesus who changed their life. But it's sad. The Western church has gotten that lukewarm that we have to beg people, bring people to church. Share your faith with somebody. If we have to beg you to do that, then when you're doing that, it's not going to be powerful. If somebody has to plead with you to share the message of Jesus with somebody, then why would they want what you have? 
Are you here this evening? You're awful quiet. So realize more messages is not getting to the root of the issue. More messages on witnessing, evangelism, sharing your faith is not getting to the root of the issue. And we're going to get to the root of the issue tonight. So number one, number one, I want to say this. This message tonight is not go out and be a witness, not go out and evangelize, not go out and share your faith. My first point is I want you to fall in love with Jesus again. Fall in love with Jesus again. Bless her. Fall in love with Jesus again. Realize that because that's the root of the issue. When we have a lack of desire to share our faith with people, to witness, to evangelize, we have no desire within us to tell anybody about what God's done for us, we've fallen out of love with God. we become lukewarm. We've fallen out of love with Jesus. And realize, falling out of love is a choice, not a feeling. <laughs> Y'all hear. <laughs> falling out of love is a choice, not a feeling. So people say, well, I just, I don't feel as close to God. No, you chose to be in a stagnant relationship with yourself and God. It's not God's fault. Just like people say, I fell out of love. No, you chose to fall out of love and chose to put your affections and love in another place. There's no such thing as I fell out of love and it's just feelings and love. No, you chose to step out of love because love's a choice. And realize this. The root of the issue is we need to fall in love with Jesus again. And understand this. This is encouraging. Even though we've fallen out, in love with, fallen out of love with Jesus, he's never fallen out of love with us. And he never will. God loves you forever, unconditionally, no matter what you do with it on your side. That's how good God is. No matter if you shun him the rest of your life and you say, I want nothing to do with you, that doesn't change his love for you. His love is forever, unconditional, and perfect towards you. And that should motivate you to love him back. Because there ain't nobody that loves you like that. Not your boyfriend or girlfriend. Not your husband or wife. Not even your mother or father love you the way that God loves you. They love you a lot, but they don't love you perfectly and unconditionally like God loves you. And realize this, even if you've fallen out of love with him, he's never fallen out of love with you. He loves you perfectly. So that's the root of the issue. Let's, let's just address the root of the issue. Because so many people have preached messages to their blue in the face about witnessing, changing the world. Uh, you know, tell people about your faith. Tell people about Jesus. Bring people to church. And nothing happens. Why? Because they'll go out and do that, but their heart's really not in it, so it doesn't change anybody's life. Or they'll do it a couple times, and because they got shut down, because they really weren't on fire for God in the first place, they'll stop. So it has to be a heart change. So my, my question, or my, uh, not question, my desire for you is that you aren't a bigger witness this year, a bigger evangelist this year, but you fall in love with Jesus again this year. Why? Because that's the root but the fruit will be you reaching people. <laughs> See, if you don't change the root, the fruit will never change. And people are trying to deal with the fruit of the issue when they got to change the root if they want the fruit to change. So if we get you falling in love with Jesus, we won't have to beg you for tithes and offerings. You'll be a giver. <laughs> if I get you in love with Jesus, we won't have to tell you invite people to church. You'll have people with you at church. We won't have to say, please evangelize, please witness to somebody. No, you will be because you're in love. And love doesn't have to be told what to do. It will just do it because they're in love. You know, when you're in love with somebody, nobody has to tell you, treat them nice. Why don't you do something special for them? Why? Because you're in love. You want to do something. It's your desire to do something. Here's something that I found out. You ready for this? Whatever you love, you will talk about. Y'all saying, you're being too simple tonight. No, I'm telling the truth. 
whatever you love, hello somebody, you will talk about and talk about all the time. That's why I said I want you to fall in love with Jesus again. <laughs> because right now, we already know what you love because you talk about it all the time. Some of you talk about guns all the time. We know that's what you love. Some of you talk about hunting all the time. We know that's what you love. Some of you talk about music all the time. Hey, we know that's what you love. Whatever you love, you will talk about. And nobody has to tell you, hey, could you please talk about guns some more, please? Could you please share with some other people about guns? Because, you know, you just really need to share about that. No, you're sharing about that because you love. Isn't that the truth? You know, some people that are in love with music, you don't have to beg them. Would you please tell me about new bands you're finding out? People that love music are always telling you about the new bands. Nobody has to beg them. Why? Because they are in love with music. That's why I said I want you to fall in love with Jesus again because then you won't be able to shut up about him. You will tell everybody about him. Why? Because what you love, you will talk about, and you will talk about a lot. So if you haven't brought Jesus up in your conversations to anybody in a long time, that just tells me that you may be falling a little bit out of love. And we're not talking about all the time. If you hung out with me, we don't talk just straight. We talk about everything on the board. We don't just talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus the whole entire time. But if you never mention him, then how in love are you? Some of you that have boyfriends and girlfriends, and even recent ones, you can't shut up about that person, can you? Why? Because you're in love, or you think you're in love. Maybe a little bit lust and love, but you're still in some version of love. And notice, you, you can't stop talking about that person to the point that your friends are like, shut up, you're being annoying. We don't want to hear about them. We don't want to see another picture of them on Facebook or Instagram. We don't want to see you, we don't want to see you talking to each other online anymore. We don't care. We know you love each other. Just get married for goodness sakes. Okay. But if you're in love, you will talk about that person to the point it's annoying to others. Am I messing with anybody's makeup this evening? Come on. Why? Because what you love, you will talk about. Realize this. When you love something, you can't help to talk about, even when people don't like you to talk about it, you'll still talk about it anyways. Here's another thing. When you fall in love with Jesus, when you fall in love with anything, or especially a person, you'll start falling in love with what they love you start liking what they like a lot of times, even if you didn't like those things before. Not everything, but some things. And so one of the byproducts of loving Jesus is you fall in, love with, fall in love with what he is in love with. And what he is in love with is lost people, is dying people, is hurting people, is sinners that are in need of a Savior. So when you really fall in love with Jesus, you'll love what he loves. You'll be passionate about what he's passionate about. That will just be a byproduct of you falling in love with him. You know, Christians that I see that have no compassion, they have no love for lost people, they have no desire to reach anybody for God, just tells me you're not in love with him anymore. Because if you had a relationship with him, you would love what he loves. And you would be passionate about what he's passionate about. And let me tell you, what he's passionate about above everything else is lost people, is sinners. God's heart is lost people. You know, it says in the Word of God and the Gospels that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his whole point in coming, to seek and save that which was lost. That's his heart, is to save lost and hurting and broken people. That's why he came to earth. Number two. You ready for number two? All right, so number one, let's get to the root of the issue. Fall in love with Jesus. Notice I said again, because a lot of you have been in love before, but let's take a check up from the neck up, and let's see and analyze your, your so-called love relationship or relationship with God. I'm talking to myself too, because why? No witnessing messages, evangelist messages, they're done because they don't work. The root is you need to fall in love with Jesus again. Why? Because God loves sinners. Number two, 
Pharisees cannot reach people. <laughs> Pharisees cannot reach people. And I'm going to explain that to you for those of you who don't know what a Pharisee is. We're going to get into this. So number one, fall in love with Jesus again. Number two, Pharisees cannot reach people. Okay, you need to know what a Pharisee is. First of all, in the Gospels, Jesus dealt with a lot of religious people, and the, the preachers, teachers, Christian leaders, so-called, of their day, were called Pharisees. And they knew the first five books of the Bible by heart. They could quote the whole thing to you, the first five books. And how many know the first five books of the Bible are not easy to quote or memorize? They're not like the book of Jude, which is one chapter. They're not easy. But they knew the whole thing, and they followed all these rules and regulations, some that were in the Bible, some that they made up. And they were the, the leaders of that day. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day. And if you see anything in the Gospels, is Jesus and the Pharisees did not get along whatsoever. They didn't. And you would think that these religious people that have been waiting for a Savior, waiting for a Messiah, that so-called know God, would be excited that Jesus came, and that would be the most loving, compassionate people around, but they were co the complete opposite of that. And so, that's why I said Pharisees cannot reach people. Realize this. How did Jesus relate to sinners, but how did Pharisees relate to sinners? Well, let me tell you something. First of all, Jesus, who is God, and is love personified, how did he relate to sinners? Well, you see in the Gospels that every time he came in contact with a sinner, he showed them love, he showed them acceptance, he showed them grace. He didn't say, get away from me, you're sinful, you're going to ruin my rep as the Son of God. No, he didn't say that. He said, you're welcome here. Why? Because Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to love sinners, but notice Pharisees avoided sinners, so-called sinners, even though they were themselves. They shunned sinners. They condemned sinners. They judged sinners. And they were sp supposed to be the people that knew God. So how do we relate to sinners? Well, are you like a Pharisee? When you relate to sinners, are you like Jesus? Why? Because lost people, you are the only people, you're the only Jesus that they're going to see. So how do you act? Do you act like a Pharisee or do you act like Jesus did with sinners? I'm talking to myself. Here's, here's some questions to think about or here's some things to think about here. Here's a good definition of a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if. If you are hard and judgmental on others' sin, but you ignore your own sin. You might be a Pharisee if. Okay, how many know we've all been in this category? We are going hard on everybody else's sin, like calling out, be like, you are a fornicator. You are a thief. You are this and this. And you got your own sin in your life, but you don't want anybody to bring it up. You might be a Pharisee if. Okay? Because the Pharisees in that period of time, the religious leaders, they were sinful themselves, but they wanted to call everybody else out because they were self-righteous. But how many know these 2,000 years later, a lot of Christians are just like these Pharisees, aren't they? And they read the Bible and they're like, I'm like Jesus. No, you're like a Pharisee. Why? Because you treat sinners harsh, judgmental, condemning, non-accepting. But notice Jesus greeted them with grace, with love, with acceptance, with compassion. Why? Because that's what changes people. Guilting people, condemning people do not change people. Grace and love and the goodness of God, it says, brings men to repentance. So you might be a Pharisee if you're hard and judgmental on others' sin while ignoring your own. You want a good example of this? You guys still here? You guys bored? You bored, Charles? Never start? Never Heck no. Okay, thank you, sir. Okay. <laughs> Here's the perfect example of this. 
hard on other sin, but ignoring their own. The woman caught in adultery with Jesus. All the religious people, Pharisees, brought this lady who was sleeping around in front of Jesus and said, you need to stone her and not smoking anything, stone her. But stone her with rocks. Just had to clarify to some of you guys in here. <laughs> you need to stone her with rocks because that's what the law says, and she is a sinner. So they're trying to catch Jesus. So notice, they were harsh and judgmental on other sins and ignoring their own. So Jesus was like, okay, you're right. Yeah, that's right. But he who has sin casts the first stone. Why? Because, yeah, they were right in what they were saying. Yeah, she was a sinner, but they had sinned themselves, so you get in there after her and we'll throw rocks at you too. And that's what a lot of Christians do. They want to bring everybody else's sin out and ignore their own. You might be a Pharisee if. Hello, am I, am I talking to anybody tonight? Am I getting between you and your makeup? Because I've been there too. I've called people out, and then later on I'm like, okay, I got issues myself, and I don't want anybody else to call me out. And how many know, usually the people that call out others all the time are people that got a lot of issues themselves. That was free. So notice, if you're hard and judgmental on others, but you ignore your own, you might be a Pharisee. Here's another one. You would, you care more about keeping rules than reaching others. Nothing. Nothing at 809. You might be a Pharisee if you care more about keeping rules than reaching others. That's what the Pharisees were like. They cared more about keeping their dumb little rules keeping their seat at church, keeping their appearance around other people, church people, to actually reaching other people. Perfect example of this, Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. Okay, Pharisees are dumb too. I'm going to add that too. If you're a Pharisee, you're a dumb person because you can't even think anymore. Okay, Jesus healed this lady on the Sabbath and the Pharisees got mad because somebody got healed because you shouldn't be doing anything on the Sabbath day. Are you kidding me? Are you an idiot, Pharisee? And Jesus said, are you dumb? If your animal needed water, would you not go give him some water on the Sabbath day? Yes. How much more a person that has a covenant with God should deserve to be healed? And the Pharisees didn't have anything to say because they were wrong. But notice they cared more about keeping their dumb traditions... How many know a lot of church people have dumb traditions that are pointless? They'd rather keep their dumb church traditions than actually reach people. You might be a Pharisee if. Here's one. You care more about what people at church think about you than actually reaching people. Wow. So that means if I'm out in public, I don't want to be seen with any sinners. Because what if somebody at church sees me out eating with somebody? They're going to think I'm a sinner. How about if they're right, they're thinking that you're trying to help that person. But a lot of people won't hang out with anybody who needs help because they assume that church people will think that they're bad. How many know Jesus didn't care about what other people thought? If somebody needed help, he was going to go to eat with them. If somebody needed help, he was going to reach into their life. He didn't care what the religious people thought. You guys need to stop caring what other people think about you and sometimes it's sad even church people why because the right church people say well that's good because you're trying to help them out you're trying to help help save them or salvage their life good for you not hey let's just shun them or how about this you only hang around them when church people are not around and when church people come around you act like you don't know that person that ain't gonna work either you might be a Pharisee if are you getting what I'm saying tonight? So realize this, fall in love with Jesus again, but number two, if you're going to be a Pharisee, you're not going to reach anybody. But notice, we've been called to be like Jesus, not Pharisees, not religious people. But if you're going to live like Jesus lived, which we were called to as his church, sinners, lost people, people that need help are going to be attracted to us. And so let's not kick them out when they come into our lives and need help. Let's show them the same love, compassion, grace that we've been shown. 
Here's an awesome quote. This is Mother Teresa. You know I'm throwing some rhema down when I'm quoting Mother Teresa. I tell you, sometimes you need to look up Mother Teresa quotes because she put word on it. I was looking through some quotes today. Here's something to think about. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. <laughs> Are y'all here tonight? <laughs> follower of Jesus you want to be a Pharisee or you want to be like Jesus notice the Pharisees had no time to love people because they were too busy judging them and notice they didn't change anybody doing that but Jesus changed the world he's still changing people's lives why because he loves us and love is what changes you notice that Mother Teresa which Mother Teresa she for years and years and years dealt with the homeless, the poor, the sick, the hurting, people that everybody else wants to stay away from. And she did that because of her love for Jesus. And notice what she said, if you judge them, you have no time to love them. And notice Jesus has called us to love people, not judge people. He's the judge. And notice in John three sixteen in verse 17, notice it says, For God did not send his world and the Son to condemn the world or judge it, but he sent his Son that through him they might be saved. God's whole point in coming wasn't to judge and condemn and put everybody down, but he sent his Son to save us and to love us. You guys get anything tonight? All right. We're going we're gonna to change modes here. I'm going to show a video in a second. So, Jamal, can you, uh, where you at, Jamal? Go back there and pr- get that video prepared. But before we go into the second part of this message, we're going to get super practical. So, first of all, if we want to reach people, we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to fall in love with him again. But number two, realize Pharisees will never change anybody, will never reach anybody. You have no time to love them if you're too busy judging them. You need to extend them the same love and grace that God has extended you. Here's an article I read today. And it's about sometimes our attitudes as Christians, as believers, that we get in this self-righteous attitude, and we don't show people the same love and grace that God has shown us. And when it comes to us, we're glad God did that for us, but we think other people don't deserve it. But how many know... None of us are deserving of God's grace and love, but he's given it to all of us freely. And it's fun, too, because this is going to minister to me and grown man because the first part has to do with Ray Lewis. And Ray Lewis is a football player. He's a grown man. And he's been playing football for a long time, and he's a very, um, he's a bad boy in the NFL, or at least he used to be, and he was a rough guy. And he's about to retire, and there was a time in his life that they think he was involved with a murder. He's that tough of a guy. And so this is an article that somebody just wrote a couple thoughts down about him and God's love and God's grace. You guys here still? He said the other day, this is a Christian who wrote this, the other day Ray Lewis played his last game in Baltimore Stadium. After 17 wildly successful years, he's retiring. He said at the end of the game, he took his jersey off to reveal a shirt that said Psalms 91. He said, I smiled at that, but then deep in my heart thought, yeah, but that guy was part of a double homicide, whatever. Notice this, and there it is. I don't believe in grace. Or I believe in it for me and people who have sinned like me, but there's a whole lot of people I don't think deserve grace. Have we all been there before? The problem is that when we talk about grace, we often don't use one of the most important words to describe it. We say grace is powerful, free, beautiful, and amazing, but we leave out one of the key uh, descriptive words of grace. Listen to this. The truth is, grace is offensive. Grace offends in its generosity. Grace offends in its availability. Grace offends in its depth. Grace offense in its unwillingness to be controlled, owned, or manipulated. Notice this. Grace is offensive, and when I see people who I think don't deserve it, I'm reminded of ultimately how desperately I still need it. Hello, somebody. <laughs> how many of all of us been there? Maybe it didn't have to do with Ray Lewis, but we saw somebody and we're like, 
Come on now. <laughs> we have that same kind of attitude. We won't say it, but we're like, sure, whatever. They get in their life right, okay. But we don't realize God has extended the same grace and mercy to us. Why don't they deserve it? And we do. No, we all deserve. Are we, God has made us all deserving of his grace and mercy, even when we haven't earned it or deserve it in ourselves. Just something to think about. Now, as we go to the second part, I want to uh, show you a video. And the second part of this message is going to be real practical. Okay? We're going to talk about, so, so now you want to share your faith. You want to, you want to witness, okay, you're, you're fired up. You're in love with Jesus. You're not a Pharisee. Awesome. So now you want to talk to people about Jesus, about your story. How do you go about doing it? Okay? We're going to give some real practical things because I think a lot of you, you want to do that. You just don't know how to talk to people yet. Or you're afraid to talk to people. So first of all, we're going to show you this video on how not to talk to people. <laughs> and then we're going to preach to you on how to talk to people about Jesus and about his grace and love. Okay? So uh, can we get the lights down a little bit in the back, Chad, or somebody? I think it's at the beginning. Yeah, let's get the lights down. You know, one of the things that um, we have learned over the last few years is that our greatest advertising tool is our own congregation. And so when we're talking about um, evangelism and getting new people into the church, our congregation is the best tool that we have. So we try to leverage that as often as possible. And one of the things that we do from time to time is just kind of train them on you know, how to spread the word and um, how to share their faith with other people. And so a few months back, we did this in, in a message we were doing on evangelism, and we talked to people about how to share their story. We said that, you know, the most powerful thing that you have is your own story uh, when it comes to evangelism, just being able to tell people about what God has done in your life. And so we showed people kind of what that looked like, and we brought out some of our, 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 our drama team and, and, and kind of illustrated that for them. And so I thought I would do that for you guys this morning. So I'm going to invite out our team this morning. We got Chris, James, Lauren, and uh, golly, why can't I? Oh, Cheryl, thank you. I know Cheryl. I just forgot her name. So anyway, um, what we're going to do is sort of illustrate some of the ways that this can go terribly wrong when you are sharing your faith. And um, anyway, the first way that it goes wrong often is that people, when they, when they share stories about God, sometimes they have a tendency to kind of go to their weird God story. You know, the one where just something that means a lot to you, but doesn't so much make a lot of sense to other people. And so anyways, I think Chris and James are going to show what a weird God story looks like when you go to share this with people. So, I kind of been meaning to ask you this for a while. Um, this whole God thing seems to mean a whole lot to you. I mean, what's the story there? Wow. You ready to have your mind blown? Sure. It was June 21st, 2003, the summer solstice. <laughs> I sat alone in my studio apartment eating my breakfast. I had just poured myself a large bowl of cinnamon toast to crunch. It's a little cereal, little toast with cinnamon swirls on quite good. I was about to take another bite. I looked down at my spoon. One of the toasts appeared to be abnormal. I turned my spoon to get a better look. The light from the window hit the cinnamon swirls perfectly. And I saw, plain as day, the face of Jesus Christ himself staring me right in the face. Oh yeah. I dropped my spoon. I fall to my knees. I called out to God, and in that moment, my hips, my hips began to tingle. Uh, to this day, I don't know why, uh, but what I do know is from that day forward, I was never the same, and I have been following him ever since. That's unbelievable. You want to hear the crazy part? No. 
I get back in my chair, I look in the bowl, the milk had turned to wine. <laughs> Check, please. Thanks, you guys. So we told people, you know, hey, when you're sharing your story, don't tell the weird God story, anything where your hips begin to tingle or anything weird like that. Just stick to kind of the basics of what God has done in your life and keep it simple. The other thing that we talked about is, is keeping it short. Sometimes when we want to tell people about uh, what Jesus has done in our life and because he's done so much, we want to tell them everything. And pretty soon our, our short little story has turned into a pretty long story. And that, that's also a problem. So Cheryl and Lauren are going to kind of illustrate what that looks like. So all this God church stuff, why are you so into all that? Oh, wow. Well, I'm really thrilled you'd ask. It's actually a very fascinating story. Um, I grew up with this aunt, and I just loved her, loved her, such a cool lady. But she was always dragging me to church, and I just hated going to church, you know, but I liked her. Well, she was a cheerleader in high school. I was a cheerleader. Oh, I don't know if you know this. I actually went on a full-ride scholarship to Northeastern State. Yeah, go Tigers. <laughs> but anyway, uh, before the whole college thing, uh, my family moved to Tucson. Hate the weather. Love the city. But that is where I met my husband. Uh, we were sort of high school sweethearts. Fell in love right off the bat, you know. Uh, well, actually, hilarious story. I fell first in love with his best friend. <laughs> oh, I won't bore you with the whole story. I'll just give you the quick version. <laughs> so we were riding our bike. So there I was on top of this cliff yelling, God help me. Can you believe they had to drain a pint of fluid off my right knee? Oh, I told my husband right then and there, don't ever take me bungee jumping in Mexico again. <laughs> So I guess that was the moment, you know, right there when God came into my life and I've never been the same, you know? Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. I just get so excited about this. I just kind of... Spit it out! Thank you. So yeah, we just tell people, you know, stick to the basics. Don't tell a story that has only 12 central characters. Just kind of make it simple. See if you can get it out in about two to three minutes and, and make it basic. The last thing that we told people is that you want to avoid Christianese, you know, using terms that people who maybe don't go to church all that often would not understand. And so to illustrate that for us, James and Chris are going to come back over here and do this again. I want to know, what is this whole God thing about, man? You seem so passionate about it. I want to oh, know. Tell oh, me. Okay. Um, and this is actually such a blessing to be able to share this with you. I mean, I, I've been seeking the Lord's face about this very thing. Okay. I, I think for me it all started when I was born. For, for the second time, you know, born again. You see, see, Jesus had to come and live inside of me. And I knew I'd have to become a new creature for that to happen. I mean, you can't put new wine in old wineskins, right? Uh, so, so the old me died, but the new me was resurrected with Christ. And, and when I finally understood that, that the blessings of Abraham are mine, I mean, that's when I started to get excited. I mean, I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I mean, my heart has been circumcised. And yours... Yours can be too. I, I mean, we could pray, we could pray right now, and I could have you washed in the blood in less than 30 seconds. Does that hurt? Hey, let's give it up for these guys. Thank you. Thank you. guys enjoy that? All right. You guys can turn the lights back on. And let's, take our, 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians 9. First Corinthians nine. All right, so everybody still here? So we realize God loves sinners, and we're gonna fall in love with Jesus again. So that means we're gonna want to reach lost people, sinners. We're not gonna be Pharisees about it. We're gonna be like Jesus. We're gonna love them and show compassion. So, how do you talk to people? Well, he, they just gave you three examples on how not to share your faith with people. On how not to witness to people. And we're going we're gonna to say three points real quick and kind of go over some of the same stuff. On how to share your faith, how to talk to people. Because I know a lot of you have a heart to reach people, talk to people, but you just don't know how. Or you've been going about it the wrong way. Maybe you were the weird God story person who always goes to the most bizarre story, and especially to a lost person who has never heard anything about church, they think you are crazy and in a cult if you tell them a weird God story first. Um, the other example, some of you tell, try to tell everything that God has ever done to you and everything that's ever happened in your life in one setting. Keep it short, keep it simple, okay? Especially for people who, who are unchurched, who don't know God, Keep it short, keep it simple. But thirdly, and I'd say majority of us do this all the time, is a lot of us, when we're talking to people, we're trying to share our faith with others, we use so much Christianese because we're around church people so much, they understand what we're talking about, but most unchurched people do not know anything you're talking about. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it, myself included. We use so much church lingo. Unchurched people, lost people have no idea. And see, some of you weren't laughing at that because you realize that's the way you talk to lost people. <laughs> Just like he gave a couple good examples when you talk about, uh, well, I need to be, uh, you need to be born. I mean, the second time, born again. New creature. Put old wine in old wineskins. They have no idea what you're talking about. Terms like you being washed in the blood. The atonement, redemption, stuff like that, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. They have no idea what you're talking about. You've got to keep it simple with them. You know, eventually they can learn those, those Bible terms, but when you're sharing your faith with people, they have no idea what you're saying. And sometimes, especially a majority of us, like I said, we're around church people so much, that's the only way we know how to talk. That's the only no way we know how to share with others our faith. So first of all, if you want to, reach others and share your faith, you're going to need to be simple. Be simple. And I put here, you don't have to know everything to be able to share your story with somebody else. You don't have to give them 25 scriptures. You don't have to take them from Genesis to Revelation. You just have to be simple and tell them what God has done in your life. You know what? People can argue about scriptures and stuff like that all day long with you, but they can't argue about what God has done for you. They can't argue about the experience you've had with God. They can't argue about the way your life has been changed because that's real to you. So be simple. When you're talking to people, number one, be simple. You don't have to know everything. But number two, be relatable. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, what the Apostle Paul is speaking about, he says, I'll be all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He means be relatable to whoever you're talking to. Try to relate to them and get on their level. Not in a way that's fake or phony, but you got to realize different people you talk to, you have to talk to differently because they come from different backgrounds in different uh, uh, situations in life, and you can't talk to everybody the same way you would talk to somebody who's been in church their whole life. How many of you can't even talk to some people the same way if somebody lives in the hood or somebody lives in the country? You can't talk to them the same way. You know what I'm saying. Down at UPS, you can't talk to them the same way. I'm not saying you have to speak Ebonics to the people you're talking to in the hood and they're like, okay, you don't talk like that, white boy. Straighten up. No. But you have to get on their level and be relational with them and get on some common ground that you can reach them. That's why Paul said to a Jewish-minded person, I'm going to 
think and relate to them in that way. To somebody who's not, not churched, I'm going to think and relate to them in that way. To somebody who's from this part of society, just like you're not going to talk to you know, the garbage man the same way you're going to talk to the mayor of Louisville. You can't talk the same lingo and them understand a lot of times. You're going to have to talk to them differently, not fake, but being relationally intelligent with people to know how to relate to them. So you need to be relatable to people. Get on their level and relate to them. And notice that's not being a hypocrite when you try to find common ground with somebody who doesn't know God to try to reach them and speak in terms that they understand. Like I said, you can't be using the atonement of Jesus washed in the blood. My heart has been circumcised with unchurched people, with lost people. They have no idea what you're talking about. You're going to have to make it a little bit more plain and relate to them on their level. Okay? You guys get anything? And number three, the last part, is, is be simple, be relatable, but be real. People want to see and hear from people that are real. If they don't think you're real, then they're not going to receive anything you're saying. Why? Because a lot of people have seen so many fake Christians, so many fake followers in Jesus that are not real and they're so phony and so fake, they're not going to listen to you. You've got to be real with the, those people. And here's the key to being real with people that you're trying to reach or people that are lost. You've got to tell them their, your story, but not just the good part of your story. That's a big step in being real with people who need to know God. Tell them the not-so-nice part of your story, not just the good, sanctified, holier-than-thou part of your story. Because a lot of Christians, that's the way they talk to believer, or to unbelievers. And so they think, well, I can never be like that person because that person has always had it together. They've always been perfect. They've always done everything right. No, you need to tell them the part of your story that wasn't so pretty. Why? Because they're going to relate to that more than re they relate to you the way you are now. Why? Because when you tell them where you came from, they realize that there's hope for them. Are you here tonight? When you share your faith with people and tell them your story and where you came from and where God has brought you from and what he's brought you out of, they can relate to that and see that there's hope for them. They can see that, oh, you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. Oh, you don't have to do everything right to be a Christian. No, we're Christians not because we got it all together, but because we've admitted we need a Savior. And that we're sinners and we've accepted our Savior, not because we're perfect and have it all together. So that makes them feel like they have hope and they have a chance if you would be real with them and tell them where you came from. And notice, a lot of times, it's not always going to be pleasant for you, but you, you don't realize how your testimony can change people's lives. Even that ugly stuff, that nasty stuff you don't want to talk about anymore, you need to talk about it to some people who don't know God because they don't realize, oh, you've been through the same thing I've been through and there's hope for you and your life has changed and God has done this for you and he loves you unconditionally. That, that means there's hope for me and that my life can change also. It gives people hope. So notice, you need to be real with people. Why? Because they will not believe you, they will not trust you unless you're real with them. Realize all of you in here has a story to tell about where God has brought you from, how God has changed your life. You need to share that story. I know some of you guys' story is different than others, but that doesn't make it any less significant just because it's different. Some of us have, you know, cleaner stories than others, but we still have a story. We still have a story of God saving us and healing us and changing our lives. And so... If we want to reach people, we're going to have to be simple with what we're sharing, be relatable or be relational in what we're sharing. And number three, we're going to have to be real. And I'm going to read uh, this verse in 1 Corinthians real quick out of the message as we close. Did you guys get anything tonight? Did you guys enjoy that video? They nailed it, didn't they? They just nailed it. Because, see, a lot of times we don't even think about stuff like that until somebody calls out and you're like, I've been doing that for so long. No wonder nobody has been listening to what I have to say. It's good that people like that make us think about what we're doing. 
1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to read in verse 19 from the message. It says, Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Notice that. Religious, non-religious, moralist, loose-living, immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. Notice that. I didn't take on their way of life. I'm not saying, oh, I'm trying to reach some alcoholics, so I'm going to be up in a club sipping some liquor with them to reach them. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Thank you. I have to clarify for some of you because y'all take it to the extreme and be like, you down at the clubs trying to reach the lost. They are not listening to you in there. <laughs> it's not saying join their lifestyle so you can reach them. No, that's not how you do it. So notice, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I have become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those who I met into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Notice that. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be in on what God is doing. Would you guys get anything tonight? Did you get blessed this evening? All right. Well, I'm finished for, the, for uh, tonight, and just want to encourage you with that because I believe 2013 is going to be our most fruitful year, most exciting year, most uh, uh, just empowering time of reaching people and uh, just filling this place up with people who love God and changing people's lives. I'm excited about it. 2013, year of no excuses. Year of no excuses. So you guys learned something about sharing your faith tonight. Well, Father, we just thank you tonight for... Uh